1: And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about everything related to disaster recovery, business continuity, emergency management, crisis communications, and all the related fields and all the things that could be impacted and affected by uh, any uh, operational interruption or disasters that are out there. As always, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about, uh, on the show please feel free to send me an email info at stone-road.com or you can reach me through the voiceamerica.com site just look for the show and there should be a button there that says uh, send host an email you know let me know if you're interested in being on the show or if there's a topic you want to have addressed and we'll uh, see if we can find someone to uh, talk about the topic or get uh, you on the show to talk about it today We're going to talk about um, some business continuity, but I've got some special guests because we're going to talk about uh, the Business Recovery Management Association. And for many people out there uh, that may have been listening to our December 14th, 2017 show, um, my first guest, Julia Halsney. Uh, We ended up talking uh, mostly about East Bay Municipal Utilities District, which was a great show with her colleague, um, uh, Nelsie, if I recall correctly. Is that correct, Julia?
2: Yep, that's that's correct.
1: Yep. And my second guest today is Fiona Raymond Cox, who I believe is the president, the current president of the Business Recovery Management Association. So welcome, Fiona, and welcome, Julia.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Now do I have that right Fiona are you the current president of BRMA?
3: Yes, it's the president of the Business Recovery Managers Association. We are Northern California's largest business recovery association.
1: So for uh, our our listeners out there where in Northern California are you because I, I, my favorite part of California is San Diego, and I know that's way down at nice. the south. So <laughs>
3: way down south. So we are based really in the San Francisco Bay Area, although we have members who are dotted across the nation. Okay, that's great. So can you tell us a
1: bit about BRMA? You know, what are your goals and your objectives? You know, how how do people reach you? Well, actually, you know, let let's take a step back. I'd like uh, people to get uh, refreshed with, uh, you know, uh, Julia and her background and Fiona, your background, you know, how you got to where you are today. Uh, Fiona, since you're uh, the newbie, <laughs> first time on the show, how about you give us a, a bit of uh, a background on yourself, how you got into this industry and how you got to where you are today?
3: Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I, <laughs> my background uh, really is in IT systems consulting and Before Y2K, I was living in Hong Kong and I went in to help a company uh, implement their business continuity program whilst other consultants were implementing Y2K initiatives. And from there on, I ended up leading PricewaterhouseCoopers business continuity practice. I moved from Hong Kong to the U.S. in 2004, established my own consulting practice but about three years later, was headhunted to work for Marsh, the big insurance company. And in 2010, I reestablished uh, Raymond Cox Consulting, which is a boutique business continuity and emergency planning consulting firm based here in San Francisco. So how did you get in touch with the BRMA? Simply, I was doing some research when I moved to the Bay Area and found like-minded people. I called them up and said, could I attend a meeting? I, until until I had participated in one, I didn't want to join, wanted to see what the organization is all mm-hmm. about. I went to that first meeting and was hooked Great. and uh, have been actively involved uh, in different roles for much of the time since since I write since two thousand and five either as an appointee or fulfilling other board positions great
1: so Julia, how about uh, you refresh uh, our listeners with uh, your background juli okay. you
2: know? <laughs> so um I originally started my my um training as my undergrad and graduate degree is in chemistry and environmental science. So I originally started in that industry. And in um, 2001, I joined East Bay Municipal Utility District in their laboratory and worked as a supervisor there. And there was a special project that came up um, and I applied for that and I was accepted within the district. And it was business continuity 101, basically. And my job was to look at our business continuity plans, um, what the industry standard was, and then make recommendations moving forward. And one of the recommendations I made after the end of my project was that they needed a full-time business continuity plan uh, manager. And they said, well, that's nice, but we don't have the budget for that. Um, So I went back to my old job, and um, a year went by, and they decided, well, maybe there was some merit to that. So they created this position. I applied for it, and I was successful. And so I've been in it ever since. Um, and I manage, um, we have 23 business continuity plans here. We have over 1,800 employees stretched over um, a wide uh, swath of the Bay Area, and it goes all the way up to Stockton and Pardee, um, out that direction, up north to El Cerrito and Hercules and down um, to San Leandro and um and so I manage uh, that program, and I work closely with our emergency preparedness group, and conduct exercises, training, and uh, report to the senior management team.
1: Great. Well, thanks and welcome to the show, both of you. I'm always thanks. interested to hear how how people get into the industry, how they got started, and uh, you know end up where they are today in this industry. So let's focus on, um, for this segment, uh, the Business Recovery Managers Association. Um, Fiona, we'll start with you as the president. Uh, can you tell us about the organization? You know, what are its goals, objectives? You know, some of the projects it has on the go, uh, on the go and, you know, your membership, you know, when you meet, you know, get, let, let, let our listeners know everything they possibly can about BRMA.
3: Okay. So I can tell you, I'm very proud to say that uh, the association was founded back in 1993. And so 2018 marks our 25th anniversary, which is excellent news. Congratulations. Uh, And so I am proud to represent Burma today as as its president. Our mission is to educate, inform, and inspire people working in business continuity, resiliency, and risk management. And by that, I mean not just those people whose sole responsibility is business continuity, but we're finding more and more people who are coerced as part of their job function into touching on areas of business continuity. So perhaps you might be in risk management and you're, you thought your day job was insurance, but in fact you're starting to look at how to keep your business operations going. And so you suddenly find yourself with a responsibility for uh, business continuity. And I mean that in the broadest sense, whether that's um, incidental crisis management, a component of IT disaster recovery, and so on. We are trying to be all-inclusive so we get a better cross-representation of skill sets and um, organizations that want to be to be our member. Um, I can tell you we, we have over 100 members, of which 85% are based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but some of those members work for global companies uh, by far our largest uh, representation is by the private sector um, but we have public sector representation as well as uh, consultants and vendors and on top of that we have um, we did some statistics the other day and of our membership base, have some form of business continuity certification, but obviously not all. So our goals really stem from our mission statement. So we want to make sure that we educate our members, that we support their continued development and advancement um, to enhance their their relevant skills, techniques, and approaches to um, managing a program or providing consulting advice. We also want to make sure that we keep our members informed um, and therefore we provide access to subject matter experts or knowledge and and our goal is to increase their awareness of relevant topics and events that are happening. I'd like to think we also, um, as part of our mission, do inspire our members. We want to provide opportunities for professional networking, mentoring and interaction among our members, as well as access to those subject matter experts and leaders in our profession. And finally, you know, we want to make sure that we continue to grow and remain a thriving association of active members. Um, does that give a little bit of background about what our goals are? Oh yes,
1: actually, I've got a couple of questions for you. Actually, okay, so, let me stop. <laughs> you mentioned um, some. Uh, the, your membership has a, a wide uh, background. They're coming from multiple roles now. They're not just dedicated uh, business continuity or disaster, you know, planners. So I'm wondering, does that include people? That are involved with maybe security, uh, information security, or the privacy sector. You know, have you noticed any spread into those kind of realms?
3: We certainly have some members whose roles touch on those areas, um, and I think I would like to see that we increase our membership with people who have those skill sets because I think they add to to the. To, our, you know, to the overall community, and they bring, they bring their own issues, concerns, education, and so forth. So I, want to, I, I think we all want to keep this as broad as possible, so we, we keep people informed in the broader context of you know, not just specifically pure business continuity
1: so uh, i'm i'm going to open this up to both of you do you see business continuity kind of either going in that direction encompassing information security or information security encompassing uh, business continuity or them working a lot closer
2: i i do i definitely do you know in my role i work with it security all the time as well as physical security and um and you get a broader Spectrum of people working together as a part of a team, even if you report through a different chain. And I think we see that with our membership. We have people who, whose title is emergency preparedness or um, emergency response, but then when you look at all the scope of duties, it it broadens and covers other things because they naturally interrelate, and you have to coordinate to work well together. Mm -hmm. Fiona, yes, and I would
3: add that when you're in, you know. When I'm working with my clients and we're implementing a program, you cannot divorce yourself from the fact that IT enables the business to continue and information security is a facet of, of that, even if it's a separate department. So you can't isolate the information security um, folks from the overall planning process.
1: Uh, I agree. I, I have. I was asking the question because I've actually been in areas where, um, you know, some some leadership don't like IT speaking with the business continuity people, and the business continuity people don't want to touch <laughs> touch you know hands of the IT people. You know, so they try and keep separate. But I, you know, I'm glad to hear that. You know, people don't in our industry we don't think like that. You know, we got to work mm-hmm. together.
3: Agreed. So, yes. Yeah. So my next question, whether you're whether you manage a program or you're providing consulting advice, I think the key for any program is open lines of communication up and down and across the organization.
1: Agreed. So my next question back to BRMA is if somebody wanted to find out some more information about uh, BRMA, how could they contact you?
3: Fantastic. We have a website, brma.com, that provides details about upcoming meetings and events. It um, outlines uh, conferences Um, for our members only. We have a login ID, so they have access to um, past program materials, including webinars, which we are recording. And perhaps I'd like to talk about the meetings in a minute. But, um, so, so we have a website, we have a LinkedIn page, SF Burma, and we have a Twitter handle at B-R-M-A-S-F. So those are the three ways to reach, up, reach the organization, or you can always email president at Burma.com and I will receive that message. Okay. Can I just maybe perhaps um, elaborate? I was about to say, um, in terms of meetings, we meet, um, we 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 have a minimum of five in-person and uh, meetings and five webinars per year. But in fact, looking back at last year, we actually exceeded that when we had we hosted 14 different events. Right now, those webinars are being recorded and then we're able to post them to our members-only area of the website. So there there are benefits to being members, not only from past meeting materials, but also access to uh, job opportunities and other things. Um, Do you want to add anything? Fourteen
1: okay. events, that's pretty active. You know, I, yeah. I know other organizations, it's once a month or you know, once every two months. So fourteen events, kudos to everybody and all the organizers there. That's a, a really good uh, busy agenda. So we've come and that to that doesn't the even end include
3: our, f- our annual Ooh. luncheon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what, what's that?
3: I said that doesn't include our annual luncheon either.
1: Oh, wow. I must have missed that invite. <laughs> We've come to the end of our first segment. We're we're talking with Fiona Raymond-Cox and Julia Halsney of the Business Recovery Managers Association. And we'll be right back.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
0: Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life.
4: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: And welcome back to the show. We're talking with Fiona Raymond Cox and Julia Halsney of the Business Recovery Managers Association. And in our last segment, we were talking about, uh, we were actually we're learning all kinds of information of uh, the Business Recovery Managers Association, I'm saying that too fast, sorry. Um, I, Fiona, I had one question for you. You had so many um, events going on and uh, you know, a luncheon, it was 14, I think, 15 uh, events happening. Just curious for our listeners and people that may be listening in the, uh, the Bay Area, um, how much is it to to uh, join the association?
3: So it's $110 per year, uh, easy to join. Uh, You can do so via our website. It's a two-step process uh, to register your name and then pay through PayPal. And that runs from the time that you sign up for 12 months.
1: Okay, great. And obviously with so many events, that's uh, well worth the money.
3: Uh, I think so. so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I
1: hope so. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to a couple of other topic, topics we wanted to touch base on. And the first one, we can con- kind of combine them, I guess. Uh, critical customers and vendors. You know, for people that are listening out there, how do how does an organization or uh, whether it be uh, public or private, how do we go about identifying, you know, our critical customers and vendors? And I asked the question. Because um, I know with Julia, I know in your case, uh, if I my memory serves correctly with uh, eBay Mud, you had over hundred and ten thousand uh, customers, I believe. Yeah, and, yes, and you know, to identify critical customers or, or vendors, obviously not all one hundred and ten thousand are hospitals or old age right. homes. you know, so how do how do organizations uh, public or private, and this question is for both of you. How do we go about identifying you know, our, our critical customers and vendors?
2: So what we actually went through this initiative as a team looking at it from our engineering side of the house, the customer service side of the house, and then business continuity and emergency preparedness, because we know in an emergency, water is life. And if you asked anybody, you know, they would say, I need water and I need it as soon as possible, but we do need to focus our recovery efforts and also notify our customers if we have um, a change in water service or water quality even. If you have a manufacturer and they're dependent on water in order to do their process and they have to do a hard stop on their uh, manufacturing process, that can cost them millions of dollars. So so what we did was we had a working group that went through uh, with all the stakeholders to kind of define what is a critical customer. Um, And then um, part of the initiative of why this started was hospitals. There was a new law passed in the States that required hospitals to have backup water supplies. Um, And so that's going into effect. And so they were contacting us as a water provider and saying, I, I, require you to have guaranteed water which we we really can't do um mm-hmm. i mean we'll we'll do our best to make sure that we minimize interruptions and um don't have changes in water quality but we really don't have any control about earthquakes or um anything like that so mm-hmm. what we did was we went through the process of identifying who those what what we would define as a critical customer and that would be a customer who's affected by changes in water source quality or pressure or composition, but it also could be service interruption so somebody who if they if there was an in, um, an interruption in water service, how would that affect um, life safety or would cause financial hardship or result in a large evacuation of a facility so um then we went through all our customer database and started identifying those business codes that identified um, manufacturers, um, petroleum folks, um, whether that was a refinery or a processing plant, um, also, utilities, other utilities, because they may need it for cooling towers or something like that. Health services, schools, because schools can't operate without water, they would have to um, release their students. Hospitals, as well as correctional institutions. So if we had a jail um, in our service area that needed water, that if, if they don't have water, then they have to evacuate the inmates, and that's a big deal. So uh, those mm-hmm. were kind of our first cut. And then coordinating with those people, making sure that we had 24/7 contacts for those clients, so that or customers, so that that way we, if we had a breach, we could contact them. Now some are planned, like we're doing construction or something like that, and we know it's happening. But other times, a main will break, and we just don't know. But we want to talk to the operations people to make sure we can get a hold of them as quickly as possible and let them know what's going on. So that was our process. Um, And then the other thing that we've done is we've worked with our uh, folks in the street, the guys who are actually repairing the pipes, because when they are doing that, they may shut off a valve, and they may Mm -hmm. be on a street that looks like it's perfectly fine um, to shut it down. There's no uh, hospitals nearby, but lo and behold, around the corner, there's actually a dialysis center or something Mm -hmm. like that who would need water. So they have to know who's on the end of that pipe to make sure if they are closing off a valve to do the repair that they're not cutting off one of those critical facilities either. So um, that was the other last step that we did for critical customers. But I'm not sure, uh, Fiona, if on your end through the consulting side of the house and your experience with other companies, how they identify critical customers.
3: Right. So, you know, I work with private and public sector clients, but... So, I think probably in some ways, revenue is a large part of the decision making around critical customers. But also, it depends if if the client is a a service provider themselves, then their you know their ability to get, for example, an ISP or telecommunications provider up and running again is critical because it forms part of the infrastructure. So if, you know, if you've got um, if you're working with hospitals, as you said, you know, I'm thinking you know, uh, like a data center company is going to obviously want to make sure that all the utility providers are, um, are back up and running because so many other people are dependent on them. Uh, you know, if you have government as a client, they're going to ripple right up to the top as a critical customer,
1: for example. So, when we're determining our critical uh, customers and vendors, I, I see the customer kind of as downstream, you know, because they're buying my service, and vendors, you know, I'm buying their service. So, is there um, any thought or any way of reconciling the two? I'm buying this service oh, I, and then I, I'm passing I'll, it down.
3: Yeah, Alex I, sometimes the critical vendor is actually it's a vendor to one company, but it's, it is your customer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to make sure that you know that they their their needs are met. Just, you know, so, they're a vendor yeah. but they are they, they they are equally you know potentially a client's customer so, so um, what
1: what happens in that situation where they're kind of both
3: well they they're factored into the the prioritization of trying to get those businesses up and running their operations ahead of potentially Another, another company.
2: I know on so, our end, what we do is how we approach the difference between a vendor and a uh, critical customer. So a customer is really literally who's, who we are providing services for. The vendors are actually those that support us in executing that work. So when we go through the whole process of identifying critical business functions, then we look at dependencies, and those dependencies include vendors. Mm-hmm. And we look at them um, and rank them based on our recovery time objectives and and what the priority is for that business function. And what we do is we look at the vendor. You know, where we we are um, good stewards of our community, and so we're always looking to use local small businesses in our area. But of course, if we had a major earthquake, which is our biggest vulnerability those small vendors may not be able to provide that service or commodity or supply that we would normally ask of them. So we need to look for backups. Um, and then in other instances, we have a local vendor that we use, but they are part of a regional network. So we might look for a vendor outside of the area that we could reach, you know, one of their sister um, Groups, so outside or sister businesses. So, you know, Home Depot has Home Depots all over the place. So, if that was where we were getting our supplies, we'd go to a different place outside of the area. And then another thing that we look at is um, we can't, as a public agency, we can't put people on retainer, um, but we can establish what we call zero dollar POs. Those are purchase orders that are established with all the contract language and a scope of services and a schedule of fees. However, there's no money applied to it. And in an emergency, what we would do is activate those purchase orders and apply the money to it. The nice thing about that is all the contract language is already resolved so that that well, way you're not dealing with that in the moment and having to deal with going, you know, through the whole process, which can in some instances take months to get that language resolved once the lawyers get involved. So um, that helps us bounce back pretty quick. And then the other thing we do is we look at vendors who, you know, in normal times we might actually provide the service. Our staff may do it in-house, but in an emergency we might need to contract that out um, because mm-hmm. it's better served putting our people towards other work, or we may not have a full complement of our staff, so it may make sense to outsource it. So those are there's vendors out there that we would only use in an emergency based on, those criteria um, once we establish what we're, what we're working on. And I would say, yeah,
3: I, I actually, again, agree with Julia, you know, get, working with clients, you know, they're identifying their vendors, like Julia is, based on uh, the, the services that the vendor provides to maintain a business process within the recovery time objective. And everything that Julia has said applies, although typically in the private sector, we are. I'm finding that my clients do put in place contracts um, at, for a fee, um, certainly with a primary um, vendor, possibly with a backup vendor. Although not necessarily, it may be that they've entered into an MOU, a memorandum of understanding, that um, they may be used. So, and that may go three, three deep. You have a primary vendor, a backup vendor, of which you have. Formal contracts in place with both, but there's a tertiary vendor perhaps outside the region that you would call on to deliver fuel, um, but you haven't actually paid for the service. It's it's Mm -hmm. an MOU.
2: Okay. And then another thing we also look at is really um, so some of our vendors we might only use them for a small scope of services, right? But in an mm-hmm. emergency we might expand that. They have the capability to do more, so we look at that as well. What is their what is the what are the full scope of services they could provide or commodities and supplies? Um, so we might broaden this the scope that we normally would use them for.
1: So how now that you've got all that information, like SOWs, um uh, memorandum of understandings, how do you maintain that? That's a lot of stuff to maintain. How do you keep that going?
2: So what are your we have a database. We have a management information system that we specifically use. It is it contains all that information, dollar amounts, contact information, all of that. And our buyers and purchasers actually print that out and copy it onto a flash drive and have it available hard copy as well as electronically and on our backup server so that if our system went down which is most likely going to happen in an earthquake, say, uh, in our backup data center, maybe it takes a while to recover for some reason, Um, they are able to still reach out to those vendors and activate those purchase orders, expand the scope of services, or apply the dollar amounts um, without having that system up and running. So that's what we do is every year annually we review that. All our BCP coordinators are responsible for reviewing it for their business units, and then our emergency operations team does it as well for their um, contracts to make sure that we have stuff in place. For example, we have one of our emergency vendors is setting up a camp for our employees or mutual aid crews if we had to if there weren't hotels and uh, facilities available we we have a lot of land so we would actually set up a camp similar to what they do for a fire where they have all the mutual aid crews come in with all their vehicles and they have sleeping quarters and all that stuff well we're not going to do that we need to have a vendor that's able to do that so
1: oh fiona do you have anything to add to that
3: um yeah i i I'm thinking of a particular client who, you know, within each of their plans, they have listed the primary uh vendor and their backup vendor or and there may be more than one backup vendor, some maybe on contract. It's, it states whether there's an SLA, service level agreement in place or whether it's um, you know, more ad hoc, but they have a and they've entered all of that into their database and they can extrapolate the information with contact, contact information that then quarterly is validated because you know, contacts at these vendors leave, um, vendor relationships change, phone numbers uh, uh, you know, are updated and you know, to keep it as current as possible. Um, so they have a team that works on that
1: all the, all of that information is backed up right and and kept off site as well oh
3: like yes absolutely so <laughs> so um, sites that have hard copy documentation it's supposed, you know it's printed out as well as it's uh, multiple copies definitely hmm.
1: Good. Well, we've actually come to the end of our second segment already. You know, lots of great information uh, for our listeners here. Thank you uh, very much, uh, both of you here. Um, We're talking with Julia Halsney and Fiona Raymond Cox of the Business Recovery Managers Association. And we'll be right back.
4: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. Creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, book 18. Rachel Carson, in the sea around us, said, All at last, return to the sea. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at Stone-Road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: And welcome back to the show. We were talking with Fiona Raymond-Cox, and we were talking with Julia Halsney. Uh, Julia had to uh, leave us uh, for this last segment. Um, She has a train to catch. So going forward for this last segment, it's just Fiona and myself. And in this last segment, Fiona... We're going to talk about you know uh, keeping our teams motivated and how do we get people engaged? You know, um, I know it's very easy to put up posters on the wall. You know, how do we increase you know, our awareness and get people engaged into our programs? What are your suggestions? What have you come across that may have worked or things you've seen that you know, were kind of um, off the wall and you know didn't work at all?
3: Um, so, depending on you laughed. Who you're that talking. makes me
1: think you've seen some weird things. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think it rather depends on who, who, when you talk about your team, are you talking about your business continuity uh, team, the departments that you're going out to interview, or are you talking more generally about all staff in a company and how you inform them of what's going on and get their engagement? So perhaps you can elaborate on your expectations.
1: Well, let's let's look at the the BCP team first. How do we keep them uh, going and motivated? You know, knowing that you know, let's be honest, many organizations put BCP DR on the back shelf all the time. So how do we keep them going? And then once they're going, how do we get you know, how do they get the employees, you know, uh, and management, you know, engaged and involved? What are your suggestions on both sides? Because well, I'm sure think, you've been at um, that. Yeah, when
3: when What I like to do is when I start with any engagement is to really educate both the business continuity team who may be coordinating the program and the people that we're going to be involving with an awareness around what what are their expectations Who's got to be involved? Uh, who's going to be involved? I think if we can set the tone at the top by involving senior management um, and getting them to come along to an awareness session off off the bat is often a very good way to get people to see that management's taking this program seriously and therefore you know the expectation is that I'm going to have to step up and play an active role. And I find that that's a really good starting point to get the program underway. Um, I think if you focus on the the people working in a business continuity program office, it is the ability to go to meetings like Burma that provide ongoing education and perhaps if um, somebody's, interested signing up for formal training to get certi- to become certified keeps keeps the individual motivated and engaged
1: so you mentioned senior management now I know I've seen it happen senior management will attend some of these awareness sessions or, or your know, project initiation sessions and they' they're all gung-ho. And suddenly, you know, the interest just wanes over time, and you you lose it. Do you find the the support of senior management key to keeping keeping things going? And you know, what are suggestions to keep them involved? How do how do how do we make our senior managers stay involved with what's going on?
3: Right. So, absolutely. Um, I think one of the the best ways to keep them engaged is to actually. Start running exercises and getting you know, getting them involved. And even if they're not actually part of an incident or crisis management team, that they are invited to come along and, as an observer. Uh, even better if they are uh, a participant, because that means that they have a role themselves to play in the you know, response and recovery efforts and maintaining business and the more you give them to do the better um, the better it is if we're talking about c-suite it's really making sure that they are, they they're comfortable that their teams are trained and ex- exercising and responding in an appropriate manner so that then they can focus on uh, communications with stakeholders, to the board, to their clients, and uh, perhaps being put in front of the media—that that's where their direction should go. But they're not going to—they're not going to be—they're um, not going to let go of the reins if they don't feel that their their people are adequately responding, and therefore getting them along to these exercises clearly demonstrate whether they've got the, the right people in the roles for uh, the various positions, whether they feel that the planning is is going well, um, where there are areas for improvement, and that definitely keeps them, them engaged. If we look at the... Sorry, I'll stop there and see if you have a question.
1: Oh, no, I, I, I was... Just going to have a quick comment saying that, and some of these observers that might get invited may find out, um, you know, that they're a backup for somebody too. So they, they may not have the active part, like you said, but, you know, will need at some point to get heavily involved. And the more they see and the more they become aware, maybe the more ideas and the more um, uh, input they may have, you know, to the program. Mm. You know, hey, did you guys think of this? You know, I got an idea. What about that?
3: Right. So I think it's super dangerous to expect somebody to assume a backup role who has not been trained and who has not participated in exercises. You know, these, if we're looking at the programs at the senior senior levels of management, we're. you know, these people have to be empowered to make decisions um, that are going to impact You know, the longevity of the company. And so they need to be if you are assigned a role in the recovery of your business operations, you absolutely need to have the skill set um, to be able to, to take on that position. I think that would be only fair.
1: I, um, I agree with you completely. I, I've seen it happen where um, a, 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 a manager was updating their plan, and they forwarded it, and they identified someone new as a backup, and I went to that person and I said, "You, are you aware of this?" And they said, "No, I don't know anything about it."
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, not it, not a good good way. Um, so you asked us, you know, some other ideas of how to keep people motivated and engaged. I think yes. if you're working in the business continuity program office, you're generally pretty pretty much motivated and engaged, and you may well be attending classes to acquire greater skill sets. I think the challenge comes where um, somebody in a department has been identified to you know, fit in on a business impact analysis interview and they're really not, not very interested in the process. And I think it is the skill of the interviewer to engage the interviewee in a series of questions that um, makes it interesting. I think it behooves the the person interviewing to to be in, you know, inspiring and engaging, so that that is infectious and it brings in you know it makes other people more interested. And I would hope that that you know that that's a good good method for engaging um, the the. You know, the, the end user who's got to play a role in the development of their their plans for a particular department. We, um, if you look at if you look at um, the broader organisation, you know, just around education and awareness, um, I think getting getting in right at the beginning, that first day when you're going through mandatory uh, induction. Programs into how how the company ticks. If you if you're able to explain um, and or describe your program and why you've set it up and where you can go for information to find out more about it, um, and then provide ongoing training. Perhaps you do um, once a year, or you, you focus on a partic- a particular topic. Around awareness, so you know, for example, one client I worked with, we did a focus on fires, and we had the fire department come out, and we had the fire, you know, fire brigade, basically getting people to do hands-on uh, uh, training on how to how to use a fire extinguisher. We had people selling fire extinguishers, fire blankets. We had all sorts of FAQs on different types of fires and how they start. And really just, it was, you know, um, a drop-in session over a lunchtime period, maybe for a couple of hours. And that, you know, traffic of employees coming through, um, going outside, you know, using a fire extinguisher for, for, you know, for the very first time was... um, was encouraging. Um, so I think there's all sorts of ways to, to motivate people. You just have to be, make it exciting.
1: I agree. You know, it, for our listeners out there, you know, uh, with what, what you just said, Fiona, you know, uh, hanging a poster on the wall is not always the best way. You know, it's only just one way to get to, to bring awareness of a program. You know, you, you can't expect people to. Read all the posters that go up and then have a clear understanding of what's going on. It doesn't work.
3: No, definitely, definitely does not.
1: <laughs> so I've got one minute left for you, Fiona. Would you like to say uh, what would be your closing remarks that, that people shouldn't really know about business continuity and what they really need to focus on?
3: The more that you plan up front, the more you put in place before. The incident occurs, the better you are going to be uh, in terms of responding to the event and to minimise the interruption to your business, the impact on your staff, and the impact to your customers and clients. I
1: can't uh,
3: stress that enough.
1: Yeah, building a business continuity program is not, uh, you know, uh, something that can be done, you know, in a few weeks or a couple of months, yeah. as though I've. I've seen people ask for. It can be done. I, I, I completely agree with yeah. you. Lots of planning up front will
3: I, The, one, the one comment that I, I always say both to prospective clients and to my clients is that business continuity is not an engagement, it's a program. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it, it isn't a single project that's got, that starts on this day and ends on in six months time or a year's time. An effective program has longevity, and it will mature through continuous improvement. And that's how you should look at it, and you should build in the practices into your day-to-day business.
1: Yep, I agree with you completely. I I think on a previous show, um, I had said that as your business moves forward, uh, your business continuity program moves right beside you. Because you never know when something's Absolutely. going to be happening, and it's got to be representing of you, not representing your organization. Two years ago, because a binder sitting on a shelf. Yeah. You
3: know. Oh yes. I mean, if you have to do anything, exercise, exercise, rather than th- these lengthy plans that you know run two or three binders um, don't work. You need something short and sweet, simple, adaptable to. Um, to to, the diff- to different scenarios. So I would say a key element of recommendations is in building all hazard plans other than emergency response plans, which are very much around life safety. When it comes to business continuity, they really should be all hazard
1: yes. focused. And on that, we've come to the end of another show. Uh, I'd like to thank Fiona uh, the, Fiona Raymond-Cox, the president of the Business Recovery Managers Association, for participating, and Julia Halsney, um, also of BRMA, who had to leave us a little early. I'd like to thank you both for sharing your insights. I really appreciate you being on the show and providing your, your guidance and your tips uh, to our listeners out there. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you, Alex.
1: And to everybody out there, um, please, if you have a topic, Feel free to send me an email, info at stone-road.com. In the meantime, stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.